Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Revenue Growth Architects podcast. It's Chrissy here, as usual, with Charlie and Xander. And today we're going to be talking about the funnel, specifically how to like really architect your funnel the right way and some things to consider that we often see get missed when people are trying to architect their funnel or life cycle or whatever you want to call it. So I think to kick it off, um, Xander's been doing a ton of funnel projects. I think as people know, that's like a big kind of project that we we set up for our clients. And it's a crucial part to how you're measuring the business and setting that process. But yeah, you've been deep in seeing a lot of companies working with them to architect the funnel. So I want to kick it off with you. So it's some of your some of your initial thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. The way that we start all of these projects with with new prospects or existing customers, when we go in and we say, OK, let's let's fix the funnel is we, we run an assessment. And so what's been good is over the past couple of months, I've kind of taken lead on almost all of these assessments and delivering them out. So I've seen a, a wide variety of ways that organizations do things. The good news is, is that 95% of the enterprise businesses are running the same process. But I feel like we're overcomplicating things a lot. When I'm working with, with organizations, you know, they have all of these acronyms. And then right next to the acronym names, you've got an MQL, you have an SQL, you have an SAL, you have all of these stages that we can probably thank some previous organizations for bringing into the market. I think that we've all, you know, ran a serious decisions waterfall in the, pl- in the past or something kind of similar. And the column right next to the acronym is always, what does this really mean? And so that's the very first thing that, that I notice is the organizations that have all of the acronyms, it's really hard to train it out. So we always recommend having something that's very easy to follow. And then there's also a lot of like conversion points that get introduced. And then you start to ask the question, what value are you getting out of some of these conversion points? As we recommend for our clients, we're always recommending making sure that the conversion points that are being measured are things that can be changed and improved upon to improve your conversion rate throughout the funnel and your velocity throughout the funnel. So sometimes we just start to introduce too much stuff that adds complexity into automation, dirties up data, so keeping things simple. So just to give you the the general funnel that we recommend is starting up at the top, you have a new. These are people that are coming in and they can come in from your third-party sources or they can come in through actual marketing engagements, but they are pre what the next stage would be, which is sales ready. The sales ready stage is going to be your like traditional MQL. The problem with an MQL stage is that you can't measure your sales outbound stage or your PQL stage or your account-based marketing play. So by simplifying it into a stage that's called sales ready, you can support all of those different funnels. The next conversion point that we try to measure is working. I'm sales ready. What was the velocity that it took to get this person in front of a salesperson and starting to do outbound toward that inbound person? Or how long did it take to, when did they actually move into an outbound motion themselves without having anything coming in through inbound? But Mm -hmm. everybody's trying to get a meeting as that next step. So you have working to meeting booked. And we'll talk about kind of what some best practices are around there. But what you're trying to do is get all of those meetings moved into true pipeline. And so you progress from meeting booked into pipeline, and then you're ultimately trying to move pipeline into closed one. So we have new, sales ready, working, meeting booked, pipeline, and closed one. 
as a very easy to use funnel. It's easy to understand. It has the right nomenclature for the sales team. And I'll tell you that every time that we've had these conversations, we've started the assessment with the organization saying like, feel pretty good about our stages. And then when we present kind of what the recommended state is, I always get positive feedback from it of, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like I could tell that to my CFO and the CFO, she could understand what's going on as well. Yeah, I think that a lot of the times too, like, they maybe have like a definition, but it's not a really good definition. It's not really clear definition. I see that a lot where, yeah, they may be like, oh yeah, we have stages, but then you dig into it and another person has a different definition or you dig down into it. It's like, you ask SDR what they're doing. It's actually completely different what the uh, like marketing team thought was happening. And so this way, I think it levels that sort of like really clear definitions of what it takes to you know, meet that stage. And that's the success path. You know, there's ways to drop out a funnel that we talk about, like recycled and disqualified. But the success path, I think, of where there's like handoffs and stuff is really where I think companies kind of get tripped up and don't really define them very well. And there's reason why no one's following the right process. So Zando, when you've been having these conversations, what are some of the stages that get deprecated? Or what are some of the stages that there might be some kind of debate around or conversation around? Let's, let's dig into some of those. Yeah, great question there. I feel like the two areas are before somebody becomes sales ready and then what's happening when we get into the working status or stage. So let's start with the pre-sales ready. Oftentimes what I'll see here is that Maybe we have a new stage, but then we also have an inquiry stage. It's like they've done something with marketing, but not enough to necessarily move them into sales ready. So I really want to measure that. You might call it engaged. I've seen different organizations use multiple stages pre-sales ready. And what we always come back to, I think that we've had an entire podcast episode earlier last year where we really talked about like, do you really need to measure those stat those stages? Because what are you really trying to optimize, right? Like there's no sales process to optimize. You can solve most of the problems that you're trying to solve with a pre-sales ready stage by just looking at your scoring model and trying to figure out, do I have the right targeting to move these people over the threshold? It also only supports like the first time somebody would go through a funnel. And we talk a lot about repeat journeys. It's not just a, it's not a linear path. People are going to fall out and they're going to want to come back in. Well, they can't re-inquiry for the very first time. So you you spend all of this automation and building up tech debt throughout whatever system, muddying up your data just to solve the problem for the very first time. And as soon as they move past sales ready for the first time, that data doesn't really mean anything anymore. Yeah, it's funny. I feel like over the last few years, you might be able to test to this. I know Alice and our team can. Every time we've worked on a project where we've introduced the pre-sales ready stages and we've started tracking them. And actually, I think you had one client in particular that did it and they were, they really wanted it. But then as soon as they got it, they never built reports off it and never used it. And was it one of your clients or was it someone else? I can't remember. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. Like it made sense at the time for them because they were really trying to optimize, you know, what's happening for our digital programs and, and are we moving people across the, uh, across the way? But then when you really figure out like, what is your funnel metrics trying to optimize? It's trying to optimize your revenue process. And so the reporting needs always became like, well, what's happening after sales ready? I I need to know 
you know, where are we falling down? Where do I need to push to, to move these things across the line? And then you just spend less time trying to optimize, quote unquote, top of funnel. Totally. Yeah. And the reason why we still did it was because it's not bad. Th- it's not a bad thing to track. It's not the wrong thing to track. It's just not the most important thing, you know? And I think that the point around the funnel not being linear after those stages, once you hit sales ready and you can kind of go through and come around again, that's the really important part, particularly around maybe you've got a custom object tracking or you're exploring that option. That's where that really comes into play, like your custom object tracking when you're trying to get multiple journeys tracked where someone is going through the funnel, dropping out and coming back around again, doesn't track you know, the engage stage because that only happens once. So you have a different tracking mechanism typically for that. So the next one, you said working around the working stage, sticking to that. Yeah, the next one that that I see oftentimes is you'll have like a working stage and then a connected stage. Like help me identify how long it took to get the salesperson to have connected with somebody. And I actually really liked that stage at one point before we had all of these sales engagement platforms that could give us this type of detail. Because like once upon a time, you would really have to like, you would really have to be good at setting activities within Salesforce, which was really hard and wasn't super accurate anyway. But it was useful for like an SDR leader to be like, well, are people stuck in working because we can't get a hold of them? Are they stuck in working because we're not working them effectively? But I feel like with almost every organization that I've worked with now, everybody has sales engagement tools at this point. And they have better reporting when it comes to sequence optimization and whatnot, that you can get to that granular detail in the tool that like the SDR leaders are are working in or the sales leaders are working in for that type of optimization. And from a funnel perspective, you're really just trying to figure out what's my conversion rate of working into meetings. And you could get to why is that working or not working effectively by then drilling into those other data points. You don't necessarily have to build it into a funnel. I also feel like if you're connecting with someone, but you haven't scheduled a meeting yet, like, what are you doing? There's like some back and forth. Maybe that person has gone dark also. So like, is that even that valuable in terms of like your funnel? Because the next stage is like a meeting booked with them or, you know, you're a call with them, that is a a true connection. To me, just having someone respond to you over email, but then maybe they haven't done anything, like how valuable is that? Not very valuable, in my opinion. So like, what's the point? And if it is working, you just get a lot of like immediate progression to the next stage. Yeah. You know, that next stage being meeting booked. So I'm um, yeah. curious if you guys have an opinion, like what's the best way to approach meeting booked? You know, there's a lot of ways that you can do it. I see people create meeting tasks. I see people create opportunities. I see people just have that be a status and there's nothing related to it. What have you recommended in the past? I think for for me where I'm like now just suggesting is always just do a meeting booked as a stage zero opportunity just because... There's so many issues with tracking on events, being able to retain that history long term is challenging in Salesforce. I think there's always like, oh, well, we don't want to, you know, close loss that. And it's like, well, you can even have a separate stage just for like meetings that go dark or abandoned or something like that if you're worried about like the metrics for close loss. But it's emitted from pipeline, so it's not muddying that. And then you can also associate multiple people to an opportunity. 
um, which is nice because then if you have a lot a few people that are on that call, then you can do that. And then it's just an easier object to track for and listen on than like a task event, which can get really muddied. Also, if you're relying on some integrations to create those meeting events, like outreach and things like that, I've found that some clients will hit errors with that. And then their tracking becomes wrong where opportunities are usually something that you're saying a person has to actually like do, um, you know, create that opportunity. So the margin for error of that data being wrong goes way down where when it's events, there's always like, oh, that person forgot to log the event or they did it wrong or, you know, they it didn't sync over or, or whatnot. And so I am a fan of Steve's their opportunities for all those reasons. Yeah, me too. I think one of the things that people say as a counter argument to it is that I think you mentioned it around that you end up you could end up with loads of crappy opportunities just being created by SDRs. My counter argument to that counter argument is Yeah, I, <laughs> I know what you're gonna say. Is that well, why are your SDRs creating a load of crappy crap. meetings? Yeah, I mean, like exactly. at the end of the day, like that's the problem, not that there's <laughs> opportunities. So hire better SDRs, train them better, create better incentives, whatever. If you see something in the data that is actually like a human error problem or like a lack of training enablement problem, don't try and fix the data or the automation. Maybe there's a human element here. We're not always trying to just like make systems work. You got to also make humans work until AI takes over and we don't have any humans anymore. The other thing is with the SDR, the SDR piece, I'll just say just to finish off the SDR piece is that often the benefit when it comes to the data side is that SDRs are a bit more, I don't want to upset AEs here, but they're a bit better when it comes to following process. So what you will find is that if an SDR is the one's booking the meeting, right? So SDRs book a meeting, they're probably more likely to create an opportunity the right way and tie it back to that contact, it's like create it from the contact, add the contact roles, whatever you need them to do, to tie that full funnel together, then if you only create, you get the AE to create the opportunity, maybe they're just going to go rogue and create it their own way and not tie it back to the previous stage in the funnel through the contact because they don't care about that. But the SDRs, they want that to tie through to make sure maybe they're getting compensation for it. So they're going to be more inclined to do that. So there is a data quality enhancement that comes from creating opportunities at stage zero purely from the SDR perspective. But if you're seeing poor data because there's too many opportunities, that's more of a human enablement problem, I think, an incentive problem than an actual stage zero opportunity problem. Yeah, that was actually going to be my comment. So we were going to have the oh, same so, thing. Yeah. But <laughs> I was also going to mention that like, if you think about that too, where there's the handoff to an AE or where then the AE updates it is in a place where they're used to updating. They're updating an opportunity and changing the stage. Right, so right. you don't have to push them into this new way of handling data that they don't need to. Because a lot of the times too, then it's another excuse for an AE to be like, reject something. So if you're, they're like, oh, I don't want to convert that lead. It was a, you know, a bad meeting or whatnot. And then also we've seen cases where like, be because of that, they'll just go in and create an opportunity, like you said, or they'll create a duplicate contact. And I actually saw this with a client recently before we did the stage zero that was happening. Like they literally had duplicate contacts from someone who was just doing that because they didn't just go search for the lead first. 
and that caused data issues. So totally agree. And it's it's not a huge leap to just get salespeople to do what they always do and manage opportunities. Yeah. One caveat and and like warning that I want to provide is it's really, really important to communicate this effectively. Yeah. Right. So that way, like your analytics team, the finance team, the marketing team, the sales team, we're all on the same page that just because it's on an opportunity object does not mean that it's a pipeline opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had that pushback of, well, if I just create this opportunity, everybody's going to start overinflating pipeline and my win loss reports are going to get thrown off. It's like, no, 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 you're not reporting on this stage as pipeline. It's not being included in win-loss reports. That is when they progress into the next stage, which would be defined as pipeline. And then you can really have good, clear reporting. But it's very easy for somebody to come in and, and just assume like, oh, how many opportunities did I create last month? We now have 5x pipeline. They have to know like, no, you have to exclude that out of those reports. That's a, that's a really good point. Yeah. I brought that up. And I think Anyone listening to this that wants to move to stage the opportunity, just clip this part of the podcast. And you basically yeah. <laughs> have like the reasons for the case. caveats, like send it to your team and just like that, that is basically everything you need to know for stage the opportunities and why to do it and then how not to fall victim to some of the issues like you said. That yeah. And this is very technical, but like you're going to have a new date field for actually tracking like pipeline creation rather than just opportunity creation. So you're like, like, likely going to have a pipeline date. So that's going to be a little bit of change management and change to your reporting. But once you make that change, I feel like it's just so useful. And then it's really clear, okay, when something hits pipeline, then it truly is pipeline. So you can actually then also put barriers. Okay, when they're in that stage zero, what needs to be completed before they can even move forward to that next stage? You can actually put in some requirements for BANT or med pick or you know whatever those things that you acquire and then you can also maybe have like you know the same way that you would have gates on other stage entries you can then ensure that it only moves into pipeline when there's a shared definition of like when someone truly is ready to move to that stage yeah for sure how much do you both really stand behind these stages but then potentially allow customization because i think Thinking about the arc of CS2, we've always been very custom forward. Like, okay, we'll meet you where you are and try to adapt our methodologies to the client. And I think there's always a place for that. I think in the past, maybe we leaned too far into that. And these days we're being a bit more prescriptive going, okay, we've, this is literally our 10th year running CS2. Prior to that, you know, we were all, all in-house working. Like we've done this I've, way too many times to even remember. So we actually have a pretty strong point of view here. But Xander, when you're speaking to clients, are you still kind of allowing some wiggle room here? Or you mentioned that they're quite willing to adopt, but is this just how to do it for most companies? I mean, from my perspective, this is the best way that I've ever seen it done. I've worked on funnels with other agencies who have their own methodology and approach. I've done it now with multiple clients and different versions of it, even at CS2, like you say, like being much more custom. This is such a simplified view that provides meaningful data that can be actioned upon without causing confusion. So I try really hard to like press here. But I mean, at the end of the day, if there's a good business reason, let's push into it. Let's have those conversations and figure out is there value that we're just not seeing in your process that you might want to see? 
one that I'm that I'm looking at right now, they they kind of have this like prospecting stage from an opportunity perspective. There's pros and cons of doing that, right? Like once again, you have a salesperson who says, I'm going to prospect into this target account. I'm going to create an opportunity. It's like even before a meeting, you still lose visibility into overall funnel performance. So it's a conversation to be had. But if the value of having the sales team actually know what they're prospecting into and doing their jobs to close more deals is higher value than like the funnel metrics and and making sure that that's working perfectly, I'd probably lean on like trying to figure out how to make that work. Because at the end of the day, we're just trying to make it close. Like we're trying to find ways to be able to make our process more efficient and effective. For that, I know we're probably going to maybe end up just solutioning on the call here, but kind of curious to get your thoughts on that. For those ones, if they're prospecting and creating an opportunity, could we just use that as the trigger for sales ready and and working for those specific just prospecting opportunities? And then we on if we're doing our custom object tracking, you'd log those stages because they are that's basically them going outbound sales ready. But then the the trigger is a prospecting opportunity, right? I love it. Yeah. Well, thanks. You just solved a big problem that I had in the back of my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Because like at the end of the day, that's what they're trying to do, right? They're, they're still, they're still following the same process. I mean, I have yet to have a conversation with somebody who's been like, we don't set meetings or we don't follow up with sales ready leads or we don't do prospecting. I mean, we're in B2B SaaS, like for the most part, the process is very, very similar. And even when I was selling widgets, you're still selling widgets in the same way. Somebody's interested in in purchasing your printer and you're going to have to work them. You're going to have to schedule a meeting and you're going to have to move into, into pipeline and you're going to have to close them. So, yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts on two things? One, PLG, because I think that's where maybe there is a little bit of nuance here. But And I think maybe to kind of put one idea out there is that the final, as we just Ross described it, is good for PLG, but a, sell, a sales-assisted PLG funnel, mm-hmm. where like you are actually handing over like a PQL, and you have to, like you said, you still need to message them and have a meeting because maybe they're already using the product, but you're trying to upsell them to like a yearly, multi-year subscription, or enterprise subscription, or something. And um, then the other is customer funnels, where mm-hmm. I think in the past people used to really think of the customer expansion upsell to be a kind of a different sales process. But I think what we're finding actually is that you can use the same funnel and process and stages, even for customer upsell, where you can have a concept of a customer MQL or customer ready for upsell, and then you work them and have a meeting, et cetera, and go through the same process due to any other nuance there that's worth talking about or issues or anything that you found working with some of our clients. I can speak to customer quick if that works. Um, cause I have always been a very big advocate of there isn't a separate customer funnel. There is from like an adoption journey and, and right. all of that. But like from a, you still get a new, a new buyer on the account who now comes to the website. Like if they're bubbling up and they're doing enough to engage with you, you should follow up with them and you should understand why are they coming to the website? Now, maybe they fall out faster. Maybe you have different like recycle reasons for a customer, but you're still going to be working them. You're still going to be following up on them. Maybe yeah, the, the MQL model is different, right? The sales range, yeah. the scoring, and then yeah. what actually triggers them to go over might be different as well. Than a that prospect. definitely should yeah. be. Now, where it gets maybe a little bit muddy is like if you have a primary point of contact who's just always engaged with your brand, it's not going to necessarily follow this. 
But that's like usually one person within an account or, or a handful of people. I've been thinking recently, like if you are auto creating renewal opportunities and you then assign the right contact to that renewal opportunity, that maybe still create though a funnel for if there's someone outside of someone that's attached to a renewal opportunity, because then you can have like the, th that's a different conversation than someone who's just like totally new, like buyer, maybe different product where then you could just upsell some of the, those other new products based on the, the renewal opportunity that's already in place. So that's kind of like the only thing that I've been thinking about recently where that might make things a bit cleaner and easier to understand. Otherwise, like you, you might get a lot of customers who are engaging, but they're already like actively meant to be talking to your team through that other channel and you don't have to route them to a salesperson still. So it's just something to think about. Yeah. And then for the PQL question, I think that these stages may not, for a fully automated PQL process, probably don't align because you're not trying to get them in front of a salesperson. But the philosophy here should still be the same, right? What are your key milestones that you want to measure and optimize conversions for? And how can you make that as crystal clear as possible for people? So like if you have a product-led stage, make it make sense and make it something that it's easy to train out and timestamp and do all of that. I mean, we could have a full custom object just for a fully automated PQL motion, but it works very similar to a sales led. It's just automated. Yeah. The PQL, like the true, true, true product led where a big part of your business is just purely not being driven by sales at all. And they can get in the product, upsell themselves in the product and, and everything. It is quite different. Like where you know, here we're very much thinking about a sales process in, in like a sales, in, in CRM and Salesforce, right? A lot of what might be happening in the product, you might not even be putting that into Salesforce, right? And you have to think about what should go into Salesforce for, for true PLG, particularly when you start having PLG plus sales assisted. Like a lot of our clients, they, they get people in the product, it's more of a free trial or kind of a lower tier, but then they're using that data in the product to then tell sales, okay, this is how to engage, when to engage, et cetera. And that's when they become like a PQL sales ready in the traditional sales funnel. But all of the other stuff, you might have different stages, even in your product that you might be reporting on in a BI tool, even outside of Salesforce. Or like you said, Zandi, you might have a custom object for the instances of the product that those particular prospects and accounts have spun up in a custom object and kind of where that instance is, because maybe an account might have multiple PLG instances of your product. So yeah. um, there's a lot of kind of different nuance and complexities around that. But I think where it does overlap really nicely is when you're doing sales-assisted PL PLG. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, so that's why sales-ready is the perfect stage because you can have sales-ready PQL, sales-ready marketing, sales-ready outbound, sales-ready customer. It encapsulates everything. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Cool. Well, I feel like we touched on all of, all of that. That's how to Those do it. You, that's how Let's to do, do it. it that that's how to, yeah. <laughs> Learn from us and just, just do that. Okay. Um, we made yeah, all the mistakes for you. Yeah. So this is how we do it without making the mistakes. Yeah. So for, for those of you who enjoy the podcast, or if you know someone who's architecting their funnel right now and feeling a bit lost, share it with them. And yeah, if you have any topics that you want us to cover on the podcast, again, feel free to send to rga at csgmarketing.com. And we'll see you next time. Give us a review if you're liking it, liking the podcast. So see you next time. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>